Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Now, the first thing that I want to say about today's podcast is this. I've, uh, I've been doing these podcasts for over seven years now, and uh, this is the 329th edition. And out of all these programs, uh, the one we're about to hear has actually made me feel better about life and about the world than, uh, well, than any of the rest of them have uh, maybe even come close to doing. And since I don't want to oversell this talk, I'm going to leave it at that for now. But after we hear Amanda Sage's talk, I'll be back with a few more thoughts about why I think her vision is so uplifting. And uh, so, let's now begin the first of what will be a series of talks that were all given at this year's Burning Man Festival. And we'll begin today with Bruce Damer's introduction that includes a brief history of the Planque Norte lectures. And following that, we hear the moderator and main force behind the production of these talks this year, Chris Pezza, to whom I've now officially handed over control of the Palenque Norte Lectures at Burning Man. And as you'll hear Bruce mention, uh, I stopped producing these talks after 2007, mainly because, uh, well, they were a lot more work than I was up for. But this year, Bruce got the bug to revive them, and uh, fortunately for all of us, Chris Pezza stepped up to help in a really big way and uh, essentially took charge. In fact, this year's Palenque Norte Lecture Series was the biggest ever, and since I know quite well how much behind-the-scenes effort must have gone into them, I want you to join me in sending a huge wave of gratitude to Bruce and Pez and to everyone else in the camp and behind the scenes whose efforts were also crucial in pulling this event off. It's, uh, it's very nice to know that the spirit of Palenque will live on. And just to be sure that we keep our stories as close to the actual facts as possible, in a few minutes you're going to hear Bruce say that I was a stuntman in the movie South Pacific. Well, uh, actually the movie was Hawaii, but uh, at least they were both filmed in the same general part of the world, so Bruce's memory wasn't that far off. Now, uh, the first talk in the revivified Palenque Norte lectures, I am very pleased to say, is by the extraordinary visionary artist Amanda Sage, who I was fortunate to meet a few years ago. And it's only fitting that the first speaker in the 2012 edition of the talks is an artist, because our very first speaker back in 2003 was John Hanna, who, uh, if you know him, is one of our tribe's earliest and most knowledgeable commentators on visionary art and the artists who create this wonderful work. So now let's go to Bruce, Pez, and Amanda at the 2012 Palenque Norte Lectures on the Playa at Burning Man. So hello. This, this is the August 10th year of Palenque Norte, except we stopped in 2007 because Lorenzo got tired of this whole thing. He's turned 70 this year, and he will be listening in, and I'm sending him Facebook postings all the time, and he's very, very excited. But just as a brief history, uh, Planque Norte had its roots uh, way back. Uh, We were all collecting the works of Terence McKenna, Timothy Leary, recordings. Lorenzo had this interest in, he's a radio guy. This is a retired naval officer from Vietnam. He was, just singing his praises, he was in the movie South Pacific as a stuntman. 
uh, he ran. He was a a Dallas, Texas Republican lawyer, fundraiser for the Republican Party, and then he discovered something, and he and he's Irish, and he's still Irish, and he still has his uh, his uh, law uh, practice for law in Texas, but he also did I think probably a hundred hours of public. Uh, programming on television, radio, but he also did thousand uh, public speaking engagements for motivational entrepreneurship and stuff like that. So this is why Lorenzo Haggerty is such quality, quality in in his presentation. He, if you don't know this, he the introductions to the Salon podcast he writes them, and he rehearses them. That's how careful this man is, and he's done. 321, 322 podcasts since uh, 2005 or six when it started. And so this is week for week for week. It's one of the most durable brands, all thanks to Lorenzo Haggerty. A bunch of us behind the scenes were digitizing the Trialogues tapes. And when when Terrence's archive was destroyed, we we made a special uh, put Humpty Dumpty back together project to get Terrence McKenna reconstituted for better or for worse. <laughs> um, and I wanted to say that Palenque Norte started in Podville in 2003, right across, directly across the playa, except, of course, it was a much smaller playa, so it was probably, like, over there. And we were surprised. I mean, it was Lorenzo's initiative, but it was the first speaker series at Burning Man ever, ever attempted. And now, if you look, there's a whole guide to Intelecki on the playa, right? So... Yeah, we started that. We started that. This series started that. And from day one, I mean, there we were with, you know, tape-based recording media. Can you believe that? I had a little silver early digital Sony recorder, and we managed to get a bunch of talks. We had to tape it to a stick so people could hand it around. It was the only thing that captured several of the talks. So we've come a long way. But Palenque Norte got started, sort of like, can we do this on the playa? This is in honor of the Palenque Ethnobotany seminars that were held in Mexico, uh, organized, co-organized by Ken Symington and others. And we decided that we were going to revivify Palenque. We won't have a swimming pool to sit around, but we have this fantastic environment, and we're going to bring it north. So that's why it's called Palenque Norte. We brought the, the spirit of Palenque here, and it really, and for the first, for 2003 through 2007, they were rocking. And that was a huge portion of the early Psychedelic Salon material. And the energy that people have when they're here on the playa, the openness, the ideas, the funny ideas that come, uh, the group, group mind that happens made that magic happen. And that injected juice into the podcast like nothing else could. And it ejected new voices. I mean, when Daniel Pinchbeck was really starting uh, to come out, his first book was out, he was here, and he was high energy, and it was fantastic. And Alex and Allison Gray and their daughter all talking at once. And I got my start in in this kind of strange rapping in, in that year. So it was hugely important for us. And so to bring it back... We were going to bring it back for 2012. We were doing a program on Terrence McKenna's life, and we thought, heck, you know, we've got to go back to Burning Man. It's 2012, and and it then became a revivification of Palenque Norte through Pez's incredibly good works. And 
everybody that you, you don't know and don't see that's behind the scenes. And we found the camp and Annie Oak and the Saraswati Tea House, and it all just came together fantastically. And then we started cooperating with other speaker series. And with Fractal Nation, we agreed to, to share uh, speakers. So this is kind of a, partner, a partnership to Fractal, Fractal Nation. So like I'm speaking in Fractal Nation tomorrow at 8.30, and they've sent people over here. So it's across the playa, and there's, and there's parallel tea houses, exactly parallel across the playa. Think of it. You know, it's almost too, uh, too coincidental to believe. So I'm taking too much time here, uh, but um, just the joy of seeing this back and your faces and uh, the new material, the fresh material, a lot has happened in five years, and there's a lot new. And then this will keep our dear, dear friend Lorenzo cranking away for a year with content. You know, if we get 25 hours, you know, probably, you know, 21.2 of them are going to be usable and and so you'll all, all your voices will go out again as a pulse to the world. And one last note, I mean, the, the Salon podcast has, I asked him recently, and he said, well, how many downloads are, he podcasted one of, of my raps from Esalen from June, just on Monday. And he said, it's eight to 10,000 downloads per day. When I put a new podcast like that up or something people are interested in. So it's huge. I mean, you're talking... Net aggregate, it's probably five, 600,000 people have listened to. And we meet people that listen to that podcast, to our, that podcast, Lanza's podcast, since they were a kid. You know, they're 21. Oh, yeah, I grew up on the podcast. So that's what you get when you get this persistent quality over six, seven years, week to week. You get audience to Lorenzo. So... This is a Lorenzo Love Fest and a relaunch of Palenque Norte, and I, ho- I think a whole new generation can take it from here every year at Burning Man and elsewhere. And he wants to do salons that are remote where he will come in via Skype and you can do a salon in your, your living room anywhere. So that's, that's an initiative we can talk about more later. But with that, long, too long introduction. And did I mention this thing? Okay, so... This strange-looking thing is, is Carolyn here. I guess she's over in the tea house. So uh, six years ago, about the time we did the last Palenque Norte, I met Dennis Berry, who's the trustee for the Leary Archive. And uh, she's kind of... is interesting. You meet someone at a party, and you don't know what they do, and then five minutes later, it sort of changes your life when you find out that she was carrying around 500 boxes of Timothy Leary's personal effects, books, manuscripts, recordings, 500 boxes. And this is about the time that that Terrence's archive burnt. So there were no physical archives left for Terrence McKenna. And here was Leary with 500 boxes. And she took me to the storage unit, two big storage unit. We started going through them. And, you know, they'd been going through them for years. And Film projects had been based in research and stuff, and but it was astounding. It was the whole counterculture, because Tim was a pack rat. I mean, there were five, you know, hundreds of thousands of newspaper clippings of all the stories up, you know, from that entire era. There were books. There were, and I just mentioned reel to reel boxes of reel to reel tapes. Cooper Union speech, 1964. It's like, okay, has this been digitized? So we started the project of dumping the Leary archive into the salon. Under Creative Commons license, the family had no issues. There were no 
you know, we could use Creative Commons again. So we had another huge thing. And in a box uh, was this thing, which we kind of ignored. It, it was like a thing in a box. We didn't know what it was. And so we uh, it came the magic day when we finally found a home for the archives. The New York Public Library wanted to take them for their American history, you know, master's collection or whatever it was. Their truck came from Queens came backed up into the warehouse in Livermore and loaded and loaded and loaded, and I wasn't there. And then suddenly I got this call from Dennis saying, I'm crying. They left 150 boxes that they didn't want, and they were supposed to take everything, and I don't know what to do. So I said, I'm coming with the RV. Would you give them to me? If they don't, you don't want them, the fa- no, the family doesn't want this stuff. So I took his library his record collection, the remains of it, clothing, some ashes, the ashes distribution kit. They took the ashes by mistake. They're in the warehouse in Queens. We have to get them back. And in there was a wallet. There was a date book with Woody Allen's home phone number in it, which probably still works because I think he lives with his parents, right? Um, probably. Uh, sorry, Woody. Uh, Marlon Brando's home phone number. Uh, Anyway, and in a box, and the, one of the last things I was able to stuff to the gills in the motorhome on top of 2,000 pounds of books and newspaper clippings was, I said, well, what is this thing? And, oh, I'm just going to, you know, that's going to the dumpster. I said, no, it's not. There's a, there's a story behind this. And it turns out this was the chandelier that hung in Tim's house in Beverly Hills over the dining table or all those years. And one day, Carolyn Ferris, who's in this camp, she's working the tea house now, it was it was gold, and she said, "Tim, this is so freaking ugly." And and Carolyn's an incredible artist, and he said, "Well, yeah. Well, what do you want to do about it? I want to paint it." So they ripped it out of the ceiling, and she painted it, and her name is underneath it, and it was hang, hung over a Keith Haring kind of table, and then it hung there for years. So what things this has overheard, but for us, this is like Tim is here. We brought Tim to the playa. And uh, we didn't even have, it was already dusty and dirty and crappy, so I didn't have to clean it up. Uh, and Ken Adams in the back here is bringing Terrence McKenna to the playa, you know, with the film tonight of the Terrence McKenna Experience. Two screenings. You got to see it. It's unique, new material. It's a new, unique way of doing an art slash psychedelic slash joy filled, idea filled collage. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a new kind of film. So it's tonight, and so that brings and revivifies McKenna here. So the dream we had years ago, bringing Terrence and Tim to Burning Man, is now is happening right here, you know, right here, right now, right today. So I'm way over my time. Uh, there's a hook somewhere behind the stage, so I better... Uh, <laughs> the, the, hook, the rubber bands. We had to hand out Nerf bats and stuff. Okay, thank you very much for being part of this. Thanks, Bruce, for that wonderful introduction. Um, yeah, without Lorenzo and um, and Bruce's help, this would have never come together. So uh, it's um, it's been amazing to uh, to revive Palenque Norte. So um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first speaker. To kick us off today, we have Amanda Sage. Uh, she's a visionary artist. Um, she uses painting as a tool for spiritual and planetary growth and transformation. And her paintings represent multidimensional aspects of uh, 
humanness and harmonious balance. Uh, she has a lot of her artwork over in the Fractal Nation Village, and I encourage you all to go visit her over there later on. So with that, here's Amanda. Hello, everybody. It's exciting. I'm really happy to see so many people here. I was kind of thinking at this time um, on a Tuesday, well, you know, it's not quite the Saturday. You know, we maybe did get some sleep last night, but thank you for coming. And um, I, I was almost in tears now through this little introduction from Bruce. And I, I, it's just so wonderful to, to know the history of these, the history I'm just so turned on by the history and to know what kind of lineage um, I am a part of. And it's, that's, that's a large part of, of my journey and of my talk is about that discovery of why I'm here, what, what I'm doing. And I feel like that's a direct reflection um, for everyone because we, I really believe we all are here for incredible purpose. And it's about finding that. And some of us know it and we go after it. Some of us discover it along the way. And my path has been very much about discovering it. <laughs> that it's, and it being right in front of me. And me just allowing it and, and learning and stepping up to the plate. And so step, part of that stepping up to the plate is um, speaking lately. And um, that's been happening a lot more. And Lorenzo, I'd like to. I, I got to meet him a year and a half ago um, in Los Angeles at a Ma Maps conference where I did a talk, and I'd never met him before, but I'd listened to plenty of the psychedelic salon series, and it was a it was a big it was a big honor when he introduced me for my talk, and he read in my biography that I went to a Waldorf school, and that was really exciting for him, and I was it's always exciting for me to know also when someone else uh, acknowledges that and knows what that school system is about. And um, I'm also really honored that Eden Rocks and Bobby Robb are here because the two of them have known me since I was pretty much a little kid. And uh, it's a surprise to see them right here. We didn't, I didn't know they would be here. So there's all these things coalescing, coming together, and, and being here 2012 at Burning Man you know, we all went to a lot of effort to be here. And I know for me there was a lot of feeling, well, there's so many places on, in the world right now that I could be that I feel like I could be really doing a lot of good. And do I really need to go to Burning Man again? I mean, there's a lot of talk, a lot of people with the whole ticket system and everything. I just, I listen. I try to listen to where I need to be. And, and Burning Man called me. And I felt very strong desire and purpose to be here. And and I was really, really um, grateful when uh, Pez asked me to speak here. And then when I got the, the surprise of being the opening speaker, I felt even more honored. <laughs> even though it's, you know, maybe not the best time slot, not the most people here, but to me it's really symbolic. Because my, my work is um, a lot about planting seeds. And that's also fertility being the theme for Burning Man this year is an even greater reason why I felt so, so, such the need to be here. Um, I don't, how many of you here are, uh, uh, know about my work and know my, my paintings? A few, just a few. Okay, that's great. I have, um, 
I have a few little prints here that I brought with me that are in a little plastic and a little protected. I didn't put together a, a slide presentation because I wasn't sure how it would be with the lighting. And um, I've got so much to talk about anyway. So I figured we'd just share space and make eye contact. And, and you know, this would be a little bubble of, um, of inspiration. And by the time we live, leave here, you know, we'll have a, lot, a few more seeds in our system that, that, that will continue to grow. So I, I think I might just pass around um, these images, then, and you can hold on to them, pass them on, look at them as I talk. I mean, this is a visual language. Uh, this is something that, to me, I'm, I'm discovering more about constantly as I go. It's an unfolding, uh, eternal, like limitless language. That is, that is ancient, and it's one of the oldest forms of communication, too. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit more history on, on my, my education and how I've gotten to, to be where I am now, because it's very relevant, and there's, um, there's certain, certain um, synchro-mystic experiences. I feel like that's the best way to describe them that, have happened, that has happened in my life that have been undeniably... Um, important pointing me in a direction and I've just really been called and had enough mentors around me to also uh, help me to understand and also support support this discovery and support the work that I'm doing and as an artist you know everybody hears this oh here's the starving artist you know how are you going to survive and you know the parents are a little like oh you know how is this going to work? Shouldn't she get a teaching job and all this stuff and at least get a degree? I did none of that, and I'm doing all of it now. Um, I've, I've made my living through art my entire life. I mean, I've never had a, a real job in that sense. And it's just the, the path has continued to show me that this is, this is what I should be doing. So I'm going to pass these around. You guys can divvy them up. So some of, some of these paintings, most of them here are actually, um, they're, they're in the, done in the past two years. And um, I'd be happy to talk about individual pieces, too, that are, that are being passed around a little bit later on once you get a chance to look at them. And I am exhibiting at um, three different uh, camps here. Um, one is at Fractal Nation. That's where I'm camped this year. And I'm also, I have a... We're calling it the Vision Seed Dome. It's a 30-foot dome that's connected to the 60-foot dome, which is the art gallery. And uh, it's, a, it's a think tank, in a sense. It's a, it's a place of collaboration, of inspiration. And what I'm really interested in now, in more than, more than ever, it's, it, it, we're 2012, we're, we're in a place of transition. We're, at, we're poised right now as a, at where humanity is right now. Um, to to make a huge huge change on this planet, we can do this, and I see what see that we're doing this, and I I have this vision into the future lately that just is will will not leave me alone. <laughs> I dream about it, I um, I feel it. I think more than anything, and um, my paintings are are very much come from a place of feeling, and uh, something, and they they evolve through through a feeling and then uh, a collaboration with the way, I, uh, the way I understand what is happening. So, and it's very much, I've learned a lot of, uh, very much about channeling. Um, and this is where I f- 
feel like the most profound work is happening is is this collaboration with this with the the greater spirit that is that is here to support us very deeply and i would like to to make work that that speaks to millions of people if not billions of people if at all possible i mean the the integrity and desire and hope that i have for humanity is something that i think everybody should know <laughs> and i i would like i would like that to see more people come forward like this as well and to have more platforms and mediums for this and it's happening the more you when, when you start thinking about this talking about this you'd be surprised how many people are doing really awesome things and you meet them in airports you meet them in grocery stores they're all over the place and it's incredible this is and you know and you look the crystals and the mushrooms around here you know are like things that one of my paintings regeneration that's going around here with the buddha face um there's crystals and mushrooms down there. They're, they find their ways into my paintings. I don't know why. I, I, I just let them come. I, don't, I, try, I love for other people to, um, to tell me about what, what's going on in my paintings and to name them. I'm very, very non... Um, I, I, I don't claim a lot of ownership over them. And I would like to see, see work, especially artwork, and th these contributions become much more open source. I'm very interested in the open source communities and, and bringing our resources together to, to really do some incredible things. And we are. That's the, big, that's the big joy of it. It's like I'm not just living in the future, even though I'd say I do primarily in many ways have that opportunity to live in the future. But I am, I am seeing what's happening right now with, through a lens that gets me so excited that it's just like it's the biggest high it's the biggest high I know. And I, I have journeyed into plenty of different realms, and I, I do enjoy the different, the different dances with, with the plants and these spaces that, that they've done. They've, they've helped remind me of where, of where I was when I was a child. And I, I was given, I'll give you a little bit of background of the, the journey of my, of, of my um, being to where I am now. I, well, I'm 34, and I, I was born April 19th, Bicycle Day. And um, I was born in Rose Hospital in Denver, Colorado. And uh, as a child, I, well, we lived, my father was a pilot, and we lived in uh, Florida, South, South Florida, for, for until I was about nine. And I was homeschooled. My brothers were born at home, I have two brothers. And through this, this period of time where I was homeschooled, um, I feel like now I look back on that and I'm very, very grateful for this. Grateful for the space that my parents, um, revolutionaries at the time in their community, um, gave my brothers and I. And um, there was a few families. We hung out together a lot and um, we got to play and dream and draw and build and, and do whatever we really wanted to. Um, I taught myself how to read. I got to I got support, you know, for for whatever I really wanted, and um, the transition we moved then to Colorado when I was in fourth grade, when I was nine, and that was a difficult thing going into a social setting in a school, even though it was a Waldorf school. I don't know how many of you know about Waldorf and Rudolf Steiner, but the Waldorf school is a it's a it's a private school, but there's also many charter schools. They're, they're, they're all over the world now, and they've been around for over 100 years. Rudolf Steiner, who is an incredible revolutionary um, 
as w- was the one that wrote that built this system uh, in Germany, and uh, it's a it's I love I love his quote: "Receive the children in reverence, educate them in love, and send them forth in freedom." And if that was uh, just those three little statements there, um, man, if we could if we could do that for the children of the world, uh, we'd have a lot of empowered people running around, and. Um, I really support the system, and I, I support even more, uh, more um, alternative systems, such as the Sudbury Valley School, which is something that I think is, is very worthy to look up. It's a school that's been around for 40 years. The original one is in Massachusetts, and there's no curriculum. And these children, kindergarten through 12th grade, they basically are free to, to investigate and do what they want, and they have the support there of the staff, not the teachers, to realize these dreams. There's incredible books out there about this school. So I really, I'm, I'm more and more interested in education as I'm also um, teaching now. And um, I, I, I would love to see this conversation more it, within schools and within communities uh, in this education of knowing what's out there is I feel like what you know these speaker series are about and and these new portals of of media and thank God for the internet I mean this the internet is is this incredible tool that is that is bringing this community this global family together this global tribal family that is is true I really believe it's true I believe we're the majority you know and people are waking up every day people are waking up by themselves every day in front of their computers <laughs> really, the, you know, they find they go on a little search here, go on a little search over there. Something pops up on Facebook. Wow, that's interesting. That never happened before. When did you? You got a book, book in your hand before? Uh, you know, if somebody saw it on somebody's coffee table. I mean, there's a very different in the newspaper. It's much more controlled. Free the internet. Keep it free. I mean, this is something that I will, I will stand up for as long as, long as I'm around for sure. Um, so. My my artistic career is something that that was very much supported by the Waldorf School and certain individuals within within the Waldorf School that recognized my skills, recognized my friend's skills, and we we had this. The, and the beautiful thing about Waldorf is that you make your own textbooks from kindergarten through eight, eighth grade. You make your own textbooks. You don't learn from them, and so you create them through learning, through writing papers. Um, through taking notes from presentations and making beautiful borders and drawings. And it's a, such an incredible way to learn. And it's, it's, it's a way to integrate what you're learning through a, through a creative meditation. And it's something that maybe we don't know so much. Um, it doesn't seem like it's doing so much. But I really believe when you're painting and you're listening and you're doing, you're doing these things at once, you're learning. This is integrating and and into our magnetic field, into our grid that is vibrating out in a way that's so much more powerful than just if you're just absorbing something. You know, if you're absorbing something and doing something, you know, that I I would imagine the field if you could see it would be would be pretty powerful. And I love then settings where there's a group of people doing this. This is where I really love the, the live painting settings, also the workshop, the intensives. There's a power that's happening that is, it's, it's to be reckoned with. And so this is something that I feel more and more this call to, to, to get more people 
to to create to go back to you know if you ask a little child or even look at the, they everybody has painted and drawn when they were children you know, as a little child are they an artist what's that do you paint of course i do so when did we stop and why did we stop and that's not to say that everybody should be doing this um should be painting or drawing but everybody i think should have a creative practice and be connected to a creative practice because it's ser- it is something that is allowing um, allowing a channel, allowing an opening to come through where you become a conduit. You become a conduit and you also become, a, a, become an inspiration and a role model. I mean, you, you see other people doing this. It's a welcoming, it's an inviting thing. And this is where I'm even more, like, I just spent, I just spent 10 days with Alex and Allison Gray at their home um, in upstate New York in the New Cosm on the Hudson River, just an hour and a half north of Manhattan. Absolutely incredible place. And they invited me to come and, and assist in teaching um, their first painting intensive at Cosm. And the way they, the way they work, these, these people, I've admired them for years. But these people are the real deal. They're so incredible in, in, in that they're, what they're talking about, what they're doing, and then how they're living it. I saw they, they, they taught workshops for two, three weeks straight and then still, still had the desire and the energy and the, and to, to cook a beautiful gourmet home meal for me and my friend at their home to share together when this was their night. This was their night that they could have had just with themselves. They chose to share that with us. And I feel like there's a, they're true leaders in the community of of being not just artists, but they're being role models. They're, they're true bodhisattvas, too. And this is what, what it showed for me, uh, being with them, to, to be in their home. And I, I did already trumpet, you know, their vision of Cosm and going around the world and doing what I do. I, but to actually be there, this is something, this is a point that I really want to make. The, the point, the, the, be, the physically being there bit. You know, you can listen and be... But, uh, and listen to the podcast, listen to different things, and you are a part of it then as well. But when you're physically there, there's something that's happening where our eons, where our, our energies are interlocking and connecting and enforcing each other in a way that's so important. And I think going to sacred sites, going to powerful places, you take that on with you. It's like, it's like there's something that attaches itself to you. And if you do it with intention, wow, there's a lot, there's... there's um, yeah, it's it's powerful medicine. I really believe that. So to to continue with my art education because this weaves into into where I was just now in New York with Alex and Allison. I uh, in high school I had a a teacher, an art teacher. His name was Hikaru, a Japanese fantastic realist, and uh, he opened my eyes to to many different artists. I don't think I paid attention so much. I was probably more interested in doing various other things, uh, writing notes to friends and doing whatever. But drawing was one of my great passions, and he showed works of Ernst Fuchs. Have any of you out here heard of the artist Ernst Fuchs? couple hands. So this man is actually, he's 82 now, and uh, he's a Viennese artist. He was born in uh, 1930 in Vienna, and he's one of the godfathers of the visionary art movement. For sure. And he's one of the most unrecognized in many ways, too, because of lots of little intricacies. And these intricacies are 
you know, there's so many things that happen in life. You know, you got family, you got this, you got all these different things. A manager that thinks you should do that or do this. But his production and what he has done, he's a, he's a true Renaissance man. Uh, he has 17 children. I don't know if that means he's a Renaissance man or not, but he has thousands of paintings and sculptures and architectures and music and, 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 and. Um, and he's been a great inspiration for many artists, including Alex Gray, Robert Venosa. I, I imagine some of you know who Robert Venosa is. Um, also studied with Ernst Fuchs in the 70s. And Ernst Fuchs brought back this medium, this technique called the Misch technique, which is an early Renaissance uh, method of painting that is about layering the paint and building up and underpainting using egg, egg tempera and white pigment and painting basically the skeleton of the painting and um, all the values through painting the light. And then you glaze with thin glazes of, of fine oil paint on top. And then you keep working this in layers. The, the egg tempera, the water-soluble paint, and the oil-based paint, you think they, they shouldn't work, but they do. And this is, one of, this is a beautiful, beautiful technique that's not taught anymore. So this is something that's being passed down, um, started with Ernst Fuchs again, and he's taught many, many people. And this is, uh, Robert Fenosa has taught this, Phil Jacobson, there's many different people out there doing these workshops that are in a setting of, you know, it's a 20 people at the most, very intimate, and uh, I think there, it's, way, it's about so much more than just painting. And these, these things are transformational experiences. Because what are, I mean, people that are drawn to these workshops aren't just drawn to the technique, which in, in, it, in of itself is, no matter what you're going to do with it, I think is very important to know. It's a lovely tool. But it's more what this is attracting through Ernst Fuchs, Alex Gray, Robert Venosa, you know, and all these people that are also talking about the meaning and the purpose behind the art. You know, this is the actual... Um, content of a lot of their work is in the lineage of a lot of the great the, the surrealists of uh, the mannerists there's 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 a whole lineage that goes back very far and Alex Gray traces it back to cave painting and the imaginary worlds it's bringing the imaginary worlds onto the canvas and in a format to communicate that and now we have computers and we have all these incredible programs to do to, to explore these these worlds even more. Andrew Jones, who is, who's, who's a good friend of mine, and he's the one that started Fractal Nation. If any of you know his work, I would really... Uh, he's pushing the boundaries in, in, in an incredible way. He, he does a performance called Phaedroid that um, he, da he, he paints on a, on a Wacom kind of tablet and projects onto his wife, who's a dancer, Phaedra, and they do this performance called Phaedroid. There is a performance. There'll be a couple performances here at Burning Man. And if you get a chance and you happen to be there, keep an eye out for it. Um, so going back to this lineage a little bit, um, I was asked to, well, I had the option in high school to go to, to, go to a $40,000 art school. Uh, Chicago and New York were two options, and they had accepted me, but it didn't seem right to me. I was a little bit like, it just seemed weird. Like, how am I going to go to a school like this and pay all this money? And then it just didn't make sense. Uh, to me, it was, it, and, and have to pay all this back through doing paintings and 
God knows what. It just didn't make sense. And another opportunity came up for me. And this was a, a, one of uh, Ernst Fuchs's sons. Michael Fuchs invited me to come to Austria to do an apprenticeship. And um, this apprenticeship was something like the old masters did. And uh, it was a two-year commitment. And this was, I was the only person that he ever did this with. And uh, my parents had to agree to pay for two years of food and board. And, you know, I had to be on my own. He didn't want to have anything to do with me besides showing up at his studio at 9 o'clock in the morning and leaving at a certain time. And he was incredible because he really stuck to the program. And this program was to teach me to paint what I saw, what I could see, to, to, to paint this physical world and give me the tools to then go further. He wasn't interested in influencing the content, you know. And then I got this opportunity. He introduced me then to his father, Ernst Fuchs. And he, at, at the end of this whole, this, this apprenticeship, he said, he introduced me with the, with the best marks, you know, with the most, the best, uh, you know, introduction. And, and uh, said he taught me everything. And he would really advise him taking me on as a paid assistant. And so when I was 20, 21, I started working with Ernst Fuchs, and mostly throughout Europe, but I got to paint on one of his life projects, The Apocalypse in southern, um, southern Austria. It's in, in an old broke church, and uh, it's an in- insane project, The Apocalypse. He worked on it for almost 30 years, and uh, many different artists worked on it. I worked on it for about five years with him in the summers. And um, so I got to work with him for 10 years um, as an assistant, and I lived in Austria for 11 years. And uh, I bounced around a bit, but I was very focused there. I also had the, the opportunity of, of getting a studio in this incredible place called the VUK, uh, Werkstätten und Kulturhaus. And it's a 12,000 square meter old locomotive factory in the middle of Vienna that is a culture house. This is what they call it. And there's, I think it's the only one of its kind out there. I mean, there's different models that are similar to this that maybe sprouted out of the 80s um, uh, where people were squatting buildings, you know, in communities and having this experimental self-reliance, you know, group uh, community living and um, expressing uh, projects. And so the VUC is something that, that nobody lives there, but it is, it has over 30 studios. It has an alternative school, multiple alternative schools. It has, the basements are filled with musicians, um, Big concert hall, exhibition halls, restaurants. Uh, it's just, it's an incredible place. Refuge for people. There's a lawyers and a, and, a, and a place where you can come if you don't have any papers. You know, if you showed up, you escaped from Africa. You escaped from, from the east. There's a lot of people that end up in Austria. Um, Austria is their first land that they come into and they have no help. So there's a lot of social. This place was also uh, built out of, out of the, the genius of of taking youth off of the streets and making programs to teach them how teach them hands-on um, skills of building walls, painting walls, carpentry. Those are the three things. And this is how they renovated this building. And uh, these, are, these, are, these are situations that I would say are win-win-win. I, liked, I like the win-win, but I like the win-win-win, you know, and you get, you get all kinds of good things coming out of, out of one act action and this is what I see we're really capable of doing now with all of the things that we have available to us uh, so so my my experience being there um, it was it was interesting because I was kind of thrust into this circle 
of being this kind of right-hand person for, for Ernst Fuchs. And I, I can't say I really chose it, nor, w- nor would I have maybe chosen it. Uh, it, was, it was something, though, that, that happened, and, I, and I, it was the best thing that I, it was the best opportunity at the time. And so I went towards that best opportunity and made the best out of it full, with my full heart, which is everything that I've done. And that has, in return, you know, given me a lot, given me a lot. So, um, but through this, through this journey working with Ernst Fuchs, I started to meet so many other artists that were seeking him. And I met artists from all over the world that would show up. You know, Isaac Abrams from New York, uh, Oh, so many people, and I, I started to realize that there was a much bigger movement out there. And that was really, that got really exciting because I felt very alone in Vienna in my generation. The art school there was something that was not very, um, it, was, it, it was very, very conceptual and very anti traditional media. And here I was learning this like early Renaissance technique, and on top of that, I was painting with this fantastic realist. This is a group of them. They're called the Fantastic Realists. Hundert Wasser, Ernst Fuchs, Arik Brauer. There's about five of them. And they all came out of Vienna in uh, the 19, late 1940s, around the time when the, the, the war was ending. And um, through, I, I had a really hard time integrating in Vienna, finding other young people that felt in a similar way as I did and, and could understand what I was doing and who I was working with. So I had a battle. I was hanging out with the electronic music kind of crew. Those were like my buddies. And some of them thought it was pretty cool because it was kind of different what I was doing. But nobody was quite sure what to do with it. And I um, I'd heard about Burning Man at the time, for sure. I'd heard about Burning Man in about 97. But I was always over there in the summer. So it was kind of this, di- this distant thing that was happening and wasn't quite sure how to integrate into. But through meeting these other artists and these artists in the U.S., I started to make this connection again with my roots of where I came from and connecting with the West Coast. And this West Coast tribe that has been going pretty strong for a while, um, they invited me in and I kind of got a front row ticket like right from the right from the get-go because of working with Ernst Fuchs it was like wow you know like he was this god from over there and I was like really most most of the people that I know over here like you don't want to mention his name because they're not it it was very strange like how the politics within the art movement and uh, to me I was like what what does any of this matter really I mean shouldn't we be talking about what we're doing and to me I was really it was very um frustrating to go to a lot of the galleries in Vienna and to have it to be so distant to be so so far removed from from a immediate understanding and it wasn't it doesn't have to be immediate some things need a certain degree of discovery but I really think that things should be um not should be that's not that's that's that's, that's not a good way to put it but I like I like things that I can that that will speak to me and are made to speak to me uh in, in, a, in, a, in a way that I can interact with it. And there's so much mystery that is also important with the arts. And, you know, if, I, if you go with me to a museum, I'm just going to be googly-eyed over everything because I kind of, I kind of like the, the diversity of creative expression. But still, I still, um, more and more now with my own work, I'm very interested in, 
there being um, it being accessible to a, to a much grander and broader public. This is where getting out of the gallery system, getting out of the museums, and let's turn the museums into temples. I think the new museums are going to be temples, and 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 also bringing art into the public space, art into into how do you bring this into uh, even on labels, you know, on. Um, on wine bottles, on 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 whatever, uh, I, I I see the visual language and the and the knowledge of what it can do, and that collaboration. I'm interested in this collaboration because I'm interested in what can we do to wake people up, to turn people on, you know. And that's, I I I wouldn't still be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for people telling me that it's turning them on. <laughs> Because I'm, I mean, for one thing, I'm getting something out of it for sure. Like it's an experience that's kind of like this never-ending, like perpetual thing that is like painting. Should I, should I ever stop painting? I don't know why I would ever stop painting because it is, I mean, it's magic. It's magic. It's magic running straight through my hand onto this canvas, and it can be anything. And when you start to realize that pressure and that, like, it can be almost too much. It makes you just want to sit down there and just look at that white canvas. And so I fully understand. Artists and people that are like, let's just let's just let's just enjoy the simplicity of of the blank canvas and dream. I mean, it's, this is about dreaming. How can what do, what can we do? What what can each of us do to evoke the dream, a deeper dream in another? And so now I'm not just painting; I'm talking about it. And one of the things that I'm I'm really interested in talking about is the future and something that I see coming. And I see. I see something coming that is is so beautiful and it's so magnetic and it's so filled with light that it could potentially really be one of the big game changers on this planet. And it's and I I don't think there's going to be any political movement. I don't think there's going to be any current religious movement. I don't think there's going to be any one person or that that's going to make this happen. And I don't think there's anything that already exists. It's actually about bringing together all the things that do exist in, into a, a vehicle of transformation, an umbrella, creating an umbrella for the mushrooms to pop out, you know, where, where there, you don't have to be afraid anymore to, of ridicule, ridicule or in, in science, in the sciences and technology and all these amazing inventions that have been, have been pushed down because of powers that be for so long. It's, it's, it's time for these things to come forth. And there are, the thing is, is the powers that be, that power structure doesn't actually, I've been told by certain people that I think know a few things or two, that they actually don't have a hold like many of us think anymore. They don't. The thing is, is it's, the power structure is so disseminated now into so many different fields. Huh? It's crashing. It's cracking. The thing is, is this, 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 it's already happening or it has already happened. And so I think we need to be as loud and clear and, and, and in a, and exposing that this is this truth to get this fear issue out of the way. People are so ingrained with fear. Our media and the way, the way that, that, uh, information is uh, given to people is is horrific. I mean, I grew up without television, and I never had a television, and, and 
So that was never really a part of my life. When I'm, I'm around it in airports, I'm around it in different places, and I am always so shocked. You know, and then also being around f- some people, friends, people, you know, that live with it on all the time. How many people out there have that in the background that have to sleep with it? You know, there's a lot of these things that are, okay, it's there. So, okay, we don't, we don't need to, like, label it as, as bad. That's a really important thing. This is our, where I th- uh, the Occupy movement, incredible, right? Incredible, linking people all over the world. Thank you, Internet, too. Linking, linking people and standing up and saying, you know, you know, this is not right. This is something here is not, you know, it, let's expose this. This isn't right. But I see this next step is actually focusing on what is right and what is happening. And this is the, this is the trick. This is the diversion. This is the, the prank, maybe, in a sense. Because it's, 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 it's a, it has a little bit to, to do with trickery. It has a little bit to do with, with the fool, almost. You know, but it's, this is where I see the deepest wisdom right now. And I feel like it's not, a, it's not something that you're trying to tell somebody else this is right or wrong. It's just saying, look, isn't this fun? Isn't this exciting? Doesn't this make you feel good? Doesn't this make you feel alive? You know, and, and, and places like this where we're coming together with the art, the music, the information, you know, where we're sharing all of these things, um, this, is a, this is the biggest turn on, right? I mean, to me, this is the biggest turn on is like having the diversity and genius of humankind to be around it. And, uh, and when I get to see one avatar after the next, you know, all of you are avatars. I mean, we all, I mean, especially if we make it all the way out here. We sure, we sure as heck like believe in something too, um, and so there's even more specifically there's a vision that I've been working on, f- and and uh, it's just planted itself into me sometime. Maybe when I was a kid and I was in my mama's belly, and they she was listening to Cat Stevens and the Peace Train. But I, I I don't know. I mean, this is it's it's come up over over years and different times. But uh, a friend of mine and I were hanging out in Vienna last October. He's back there, um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we got to talking, and something clicked. Something clicked for both of us. We started talking about this, and we we're like, "Wow, maybe this is really, really, really something that's going to happen." And um, so, more, more, more specifically, is about taking a journey around the world, but taking kind of like something that's happening here, a little bit of this, a little bit of um, you know the World Fair, a little bit of the essence of of all the greatest movements that have ever happened, liberation movements in history. This is, there, there's going to be another big one, right? And we're in it right now. I think this is, one of, this is a big one. But there's another one coming that's going to connect the communities, the tribal communities of this world. And we're, we're doing it, but I see like a perpetual voyage um, happening that can really, really uh, bring it to the people. It's about bringing it to the people and uh, and inviting participation, participation, education, uh, action, and it's very. Ag- so he, we're here. We build. We're here at Burning Man. We build. We put a lot of work and sweat into being here, and then we party. This is what this is going to be too. But this is going to be more like permanent infrastructures, going through communities and building gardens, working with schools, building new schools, cob cob buildings. You know, showing people, giving them tools also that they can work with when, when we leave, you know, because you don't just come to town, throw a huge spectacle, and then, and then leave everybody just like, uh, what do we do now? 
you know I would like to just see this see empowered people so it's this journey of regeneration and a journey of healing symbolic symbolic things have a lot of power just by saying them I mean some of you may know about the Ho'oponopono um, I love you I'm sorry I forgive you and thank you and and by just saying these things and meaning them it is something is happening there is healing happening and so I see this journey this journey could happening on trains happening on big vehicles happening it's a it's a migratory um, process getting on big ships using containers to tran to transport um, lots of things laboratories you know you have Tesla coils all kinds of, like I see this this journey as being the cutting edge of technology and also showcasing the genius of our history from all over the world, using nomadic structures from all of the great cultures. And honoring, honoring our past and going forward in our future in a in a in a way of empowering the little ones all the way all the way up to the grandparents and the people that are that are in nursing homes that are twiddling their thumbs. Hey, we can we can activate each other. People want to, to be a part. And this is what I'm so, like, this turns me on more than anything. And this has given me a perp more of a purpose to paint. So when, when Barbara Marks Hubbard, some of you may know of her, um, she was in the movie Thrive and, and The Secret, and she's on the Evolutionary Council, and one of the most inspiring women that I, that I know of speaking and, and doing incredible work, um, she gave a talk at Lightning in a Bottle um, in a, a few months ago, and I got to I got to be there, and, and she asked everybody, "Well, what are you really doing? What are you, we all know something's happening, but what are you doing for this? What are you doing now, and what do you want to do?" And she got people to stand up and, and say what they were doing, and I got to stand up, and I all I wanted to do was talk about the train, <laughs> but then she was like, "Okay, this is a great idea, um, but what are you doing now? You know, what are you physically doing?" And I was like, "Well, I'm painting it." And so that's my contribution right now. I talk about it. I paint about it. And I, I feel like this is, um, through talking about it, what I'm doing is I'm sowing seeds. I'm sowing seeds and I'm giving it out. I'm get, to me, I, I, I don't own this. This is something that, that came to me. I see it. I feel it. And every time I talk about it and think about it, it pulls me up into its little rainbow cloud. <laughs> that I can't pull down. It's like completely of its own nature. You know? So to me, like my when I talk to people, I say, This is this is something that I like to daydream about. I like to think about before I go to sleep. I like to talk about it because it makes me feel so good. And it's not that I'm just living in the future. It's because when I get in that state of feeling and seeing this, seeing this journey and how many billions of people could get on board with this and realize that they're the majority and they have a choice and they are empowered and they can they can follow their dreams that they're not alone they're not alone in front of their computers discovering these things they are maybe right now you know but we're out there and we're here like the people that are coming to burning man we're we're a part of this we have an incredibly important role when we go back out into the uh, go back out into the world and this is something that is, is sometimes daunting and sometimes difficult to integrate. But we're ambassadors. You know, if you're a Bernie man once, you're an ambassador as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and so, you know, no matter where you are, you get into a state of, uh, of, of sharing 
um, you know, you don't always have to share, but even just the way you look sometimes or the smile you give somebody or how you treat somebody. This is how it's happening. And I, I feel like I've got this golden trumpet now. And I get to, to run around with it and tell everybody, I got some good news, really good news. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's not, you don't have to change anything, really. Just, like, keep going. Keep doing it. And, like, like, dream, dream. I feel like this dream space is the most important. And, um... I uh, I also have a little poem that I want to read, and this is something that I've been reading along the along the way. The past three months, I've been on tour, and this is 2012. I didn't expect this, but it's something that happened. I uh, it uh, you know, as things do, if you're open and you're flexible, <laughs> the universe will point you in all kinds of directions. And I've been on this really cool tour that, that led me. I was at the Boom Festival. I don't know if you've ever, any of you have heard about this a, f- a few weeks ago in Portugal. And uh, I also taught a, a painting workshop in Italy at an eco-village uh, in, in, uh, right on the border to France on the Mediterranean. And uh, incredible people from all over the world came together for three weeks. And we got to paint and talk and go super deep into, into all of these these topics and empowering e- each other, you know. It's like, and t- we got to visit Dom and Her. I don't know how many of you have heard about Dom and Her. This is an incredible community in uh, that has the temples of humankind uh, in b- that they dug underground uh, and as a secret. And uh, now people can can visit it. They they made it as a secret to to avoid uh, judgment and uh, from the government and. And the, the locals, you know, thinking that this, this was a sect and, you know, scary people doing scary things. Quite the contrary. I mean, the work that they, they have made there is, is absolutely incredible in their community. And the, I think there's over 6,000 people that are actually citizens of Domenher now. I think around 2,000 people actually live there. Um, there's communities all over the world. And there's this network that is undeniably like surfacing it is happening all over the world and because of what i what i am doing and my my paintings because i paint about it people write to me quite often and and i've i've become one of the nodes maybe i'm not in one location i'm one of the moving nodes there's some of us that are that are building the physical nodes there are some of us that that are that are connecting the nodes and uh there there are these little light beams we're creating this light network and this is the, the, the title of my talk, the vision mapping for the golden era. I thought that was, I came up with it kind of probably at like 4 o'clock in the morning when I was in Italy teaching and just like, you know, hardly could I, could I imagine what I was going to talk about at Burning Man. But I mean, in, in essence, just give me a microphone now and I'll just go off because I've got so many good things I feel like to share. And it's about, it's, it's, to me, it's the linking together of my story you know, of like all these different patterns that have happened in my life that I get to look back on now and I'm incredibly grateful for and get to speak out now in a, in a, in a role of, of, of sharing and, and inviting you to also look at the patterns in your life because there are lots of them if you look for them. And the more you get into that state too of like, what do I really want? What is my deepest heart's desire? then 
you, it'll come to you. It'll just, it'll just start, it'll just start coming to you. And I, the law of attraction. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but the, the law of attraction is something that is, it works. I know it works. I, I it's something that you have to experience and uh, experiment, experiment with. Um, but it's very much a. Um, I think I think part of the transition that we're going into, where 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 the transparency is becoming very transparent, the walls are breaking down between between this veil of separation, and it needs it needs people to 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 know this, realize it, support it, and support the others. I feel like there's a time I don't know what's coming. We talk about 2012. What's going to happen at the end of 2012? I know just as well as you do. I would like I would like to see a vibrational shift. That would be the best thing, maybe a vibrational shift that we wake up and we're, you know, we we're, our hearts are connected again, our hearts and our minds, and connected to the great heart, you know, or we realize that we actually are. I think that it's possible, and this is what I'm rooting for. <laughs> And if not that, then, then as well, what about the and? This is something that I've also gotten really into for a while. It's like the and. Not either or, and. How can we do it all? And I love to surround myself with people that do, do it all. And they blow my mind. I've got a couple friends out there, actually multiple ones, that just are some of the most inspiring people to me because they stop at, they don't stop at anything. They just go for it. You know, and we can, we can, and and we do this together. We inspire each other to go forward and to, and and to believe. What what can we believe in again? Bring back meaning. So what? What? Why does visionary art matter? I think I think a large amount of visionary art is a is a is a word in general that is very very large, and and I think everything fits into in in a lot of ways, or many things can. But the visionary art that I, or the definition that I, um, see it as now is something that is very, very loaded with sacred, with a sacred message, with a lineage, too, of, of, our, of, our, of sacred geometry, of things, of our commonalities, of awaking the spirit within. And uh, it's medicine. It's something that's also not necessarily, you don't need to understand necessarily. It's something that actually you're, is speaking to your genetic code. And this is where my paintings, wherever they, they've landed around here, um, the prints. So I paint the egg a lot. And I'd like to say this real quick before I end here. The egg is a very important symbol for me, and it was brought to me about six years ago um, in a painting that uh, I titled Dreams. And it was a kind of a real automated painting when I, I took myself on a vision quest to Bali, Indonesia for two months just with a box of paints and my paintbrushes. And um, the first painting that I did there was this piece that I allowed. I, I allow a lot of my pieces to just, just start on their own and uh, work with fe my feeling of which colors I'm going to choose and try to really stay attentive to, 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 to the process. And um, it's a very exciting and, and, and kind of dangerous sometimes because anything you do can change the entire world, right? But it's also incredibly exciting if you, if you open up to that experience. And this painting turned into a self-portrait of me sleeping. And out of the sky came this rainbow serpent. And 
in its mouth, it was holding an egg. And I just, it just happened. It literally happened. I mean, I did paint it for sure, but it was something that happened. I didn't have the idea and then paint it. And then when I saw it, there's this moment, you know, it's about three, four, five o'clock in the morning when everybody else is asleep and you actually have the time or all the non-physicals and whoever else is hanging out, you know, all the angels and guides, you know, are just right there at your back and you can hear them better. Um, I, I, I sat there and I was like, oh my God, I could probably be painting eggs for the rest of my life. And I probably will. Because as, as, they, as, the, as it has unfolded, it's the, it's the most reduced organic form. And it's, it's this symbol that is so profoundly a part of our existence that, that it's, I feel like it's a doorway. It's a portal. It's an inf- of infinite possibility. And so it's, this became this, this shape that I could put anything into. And uh, I hope to someday and soon enough I'll start on this series of painting them like doorways, the size of doorways. And in, a, in an interesting, synchromystic way, I feel them very resonant with Alex Gray's uh, Sacred Mirrors work. And um, I feel like the shape of the egg is something that is actually able to penetrate and go and speak to our cellular memory. And it's uh, maybe even the shape of the wormhole. All of these things. And so this is a beautiful for me to be, for the theme of uh, Burning Man this year being fertility and it being 2012, I, I really, really dig it. Like I think that it's, it's a time of rebirth. And it's a time that we really, um, it's a time to dream now more than ever. And talk about it as much as you, uh, you know, get out of the boring conversations and just get, get, in, get into something that's really exciting. And you can, you can do this in most conversations, just weave a little bit in a different direction. And, uh, I mean, I do this with the train all the time. You guys can talk about the train, too, if you want. <laughs> Trains and boats and this, this migratory movement, it's, uh, it's happening. And um, I have actually... There's, a, there's, there's this little think tank that we have over at Fractal Nation, and I would love to, to invite all of you to come over. I'm actually kicking off the, t- the speaker series at 5 o'clock at Fractal in a couple hours as well. And I don't know if you want to come listen to me talk even more. Um, it would be somewhat along similar, guide, uh, similar lines, but uh, different, different space, different, different words. But the think tank is very much... Uh, um, very much inspired by this, this space of conversation and dreaming and that everybody has a place at the table. So we have a round table that's in the shape of an egg. <laughs> and it's a place that I w- we have a few ca- collaboration paintings going on. We've got one for everybody to paint on. We've got a vision board. I don't know if that's all set up quite yet. A uh, chalkboard and all these kinds of fun things. And so I'd really love to know what you, what, what you, ha- what you would like to offer. I mean, you guys want to get on the train too? Like, you know, this is where we're starting kind of like a little campaign here. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's happening very organically. So we did just uh, buy earthvoyage.org. We're going to be building that um, over time now. And uh, nonprofit and all kinds of different things are, gonna, are, are, are being born at the same time. And I would love for you all to be a part of it and uh, get be a part of the puzzle, you know, 
And uh, I feel like you all are. So I'm going to read this short little poem by my friend Layla Love. And I see some dear friends that just showed up. Thank you, Jay Brave, for being here. And um, this is by my friend Layla Love. And uh, she has a vision with the boats. I have this vision with the trains. But she has a vision with, with think tank boats. And so we're, we're linking up um, in, this, in this journey along with many other people. And this is a beautiful little poem that she wrote. The darkest hour is always before the dawn. We have the honor of living through the dawning of a new era. It is indeed a time of golden crisis, in which the intolerable must not be tolerated. You are the solution. You are a beacon of light, waiting to be turned on. You are the torchbearer. Ignite your golden core. Peace begins within. Thank you. And I don't know, do we have time for some questions or anything? Yeah? Is there any questions? Amanda, in a uh, beautiful talk, thank you very much. It put me into a reverie there. Um, in your paintings, I've been noticing over the years that you have this wonderful way of showing breath showing breath through the nose, through the mouth, and then the breath that comes through sort of the face, the hair. How does breath factor into your philosophy, your artistic philosophy? Well, I, I think it's, it's a very natural thing that uh, <laughs> is around us all the time. And uh, this energy is more, uh, this energy, this connecting connecting of things as I feel like what that where that comes from is the desire to to weave it together and so uh, this breath is connecting through through breath through the third eye into the cosmos and down into our core it's about it's about translating in some way this feeling and this desire to see past the density of maybe not being able to see the breath so much so for me, when I when I paint, I, I really enjoy painting things that I that I imagine to be there, and I can feel, and I saw as a child. I saw all the colors and all these things, and I remember that very well. And I see it now through painting. So it's something that I feel that I it's it's there. It's just about mapping it, bringing it forward, and and it's something that is very healing, I think, too, to remind us about this breath and the grounding aspect of it, Rem remembering, the, remembering to breathe. I have to remind myself to breathe when I paint all the time. I'm like in another world. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, yesterday I was at center camp, and I overheard my first conversation for this burn in which someone was sharing their playa name, and it's snake and eggs. <laughs> snake and eggs. That's sweet. Um, so my question is, uh, uh, I'm not an artist. Um, I know that, like, fear can be instilled in artwork. Like, you can look at, at art and become fearful based on the imagery that's, that's shown. Um, but what imagery, or, or how would we instill imagery in artwork that has a, a healing effect? So, so it, it, it de-fears. Like, what would that look like? That's a really lovely question. Um, 
I feel like it has a lot to do with the intention and the state that the artist is in when they're creating. Um, and that is that that language is is in that f- those feelings, those emotions, those intentions are all in the lines, in the colors, in all the choices. Because you're constantly making choices when you're painting. And um, I think there's there's something about spectral colors and harmonizing with color, how color vibrates, um, how composition works, how you use light and dark, very fundamentals of, of the visual world. And uh, through using these tools... Um, you can create a very clear message. So are you making something that's a crystalline structure? Are you making something that's very dense? Are you making, you know, all these different things? And it has very much to do with the intention of the artist. And I think that feeling is then transported. Um, I really believe it has a lot to do with the intention. And the, and the, tech, the technical skill behind it is something that can been, then be looked at from various perspectives. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of art that I feel like is done because it just needs to get out. People need to get this out. You know, there's something they don't know any other way to express it, and that's incredibly important, too. Um, I'm really interested in just uh, in just being like, well, if you've gotten past that bit, you know, well, there's there's a lot more work to do. You know, like let's start painting things that are really um, messages and signposts for the future. You know, take on that role. You know, there's all, there's always a deep personal process that's a part of it too. I mean, to me, the deep personal process is also th- pushing through the boundaries of also my limitations of where I was like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, you give up. Well, sometimes you gotta admit you give up. You put it aside, you know, for a while, and you look at it, you know, in dark light in a mirror every now and then. You don't paint on it for five years. You know, there's a whole process that happens with paintings. They're their own creatures. You know, listening to them. This is something that Ernst Fuchs said to me once. He's like, you have to learn to listen to the painting. And I really believe that. It's it's much less of something that I am necessarily having to say. But now it's changing a little bit because I see a vision that's so clear. I'm wanting to integrate that a lot more with uh, the intuitive process and then also with things that I feel like I know and uh, am tuning into. Happy burn, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. You know, uh, it's quite easy these days to get where my mother would have said that we're sort of down in the dumps, which is uh, just an old-fashioned way of saying you seem depressed. And whether you're following the news headlines of the whole world or just those in your own country, there is uh, little in the corporate-owned and controlled media right now that gives any of us much to hope for. But just now, uh, listening to Amanda with you, I have uh, suddenly remembered that the world always seems to remain in balance, and for all of the bad news out there, there is an equal amount of good news. And Amanda's positiveness and excitement about being alive at this uh, particular moment in time is really contagious. You know, uh, sometimes it's easy for me to forget that uh, you and I, right now, are living during an extraordinary moment in human history. A moment unlike any other that has ever come before. It's, uh, I think, a truly psychedelic moment in time. And uh, we should not lose focus on that fact. 
Well, uh, Amanda, thank you ever so much for reminding me, reminding all of us here in the salon, that we can actually change our lives by simply changing our attitudes. And if everybody had an attitude like yours, we could probably transform the entire planet in a single day. In fact, uh, after listening to Amanda and learning about her work with earthvoyage.org, I went out to their website and added my contact information so that I can stay in touch with them and pass messages of their work along to us here in the salon. In fact, uh, why don't you visit that site yourself right now and get involved? You know, you don't have to become a nomad like Amanda appears to be, and uh, you don't need to be a hermit like me. Uh, with the vision that earthvoyage.org is pulling together, well, uh, it seems to me that there's a place for each of us to do whatever it is that we do best and add it to the mix. So why wait? Uh, I've just changed my attitude from negative to positive, and it feels great. So uh, now it's your turn. There is actually a great deal more that I'd like to say right now, but to tell the truth, I think you'd be better served by re-listening to Amanda's talk and try to visualize yourself working with her and her friends when they come to your town to begin building and teaching how to build a more sustainable future and a permanent infrastructure of gardens, lectures, festivals, and more. Not since the Middle Ages, uh, I think, has such an effort been more important. You see, uh, unless you are purposely keeping yourself uninformed, you already know that our civilization has reached a tipping point of sorts. And not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. Uh, you know, wherever the American McWorld is wired up. Now, this isn't just doom and gloom. It's uh, simply a fact that a hundred years from now, the world is going to be completely restructured. That uh, seems inevitable to me. How it will be restructured, of course, remains to be seen. But don't kid yourself. Uh, global change of epic proportions will be the rule for the foreseeable future. But in my view, it will most definitely not be a Mad Max or a Blade Runner future. You know, just uh, study your history and learn what happened at the end of other empires. Uh, the Roman Empire being the most obvious example. But before that came the fall of China's Middle Kingdom, the Great Persian Empire, the British Empire, and the fall of the Soviet Union, just to mention a few. With few exceptions, uh, when civilizations come to an end, it seems to be more of a disintegration over time than a violent upheaval. And every empire comes to an end. I don't see how anyone can dispute that fact. So, over the next hundred years or so, the American empire will also be coming to an end. And there is simply nothing that you can do about that. However, uh, there is a lot that you can do to ensure that you and your loved ones can not only weather the changes that are sure to come, you can actually thrive as long as uh, you're willing to reset your priorities from consuming every new item that the advertisers are pushing on you, and instead uh, taking the time to sit down and seriously consider what you want to do with your life here on Earth. Granted, uh, you may have another chance at another life or an afterlife, but the only thing that we know for sure is that we are here right now, so maybe we'd better not take this opportunity, this uh, wonderful gift called human life, so much for granted. And in order to help you keep up with the wonderful spirit of hopefulness that Amanda lives with and passes along to all who will listen, I'm going to recommend a little homework for you today. And uh, <laughs> I can hear the groans now. Oh boy, Lorenzo's going to recommend yet another book. And uh, if that's what you're thinking, well, you're right. <laughs> the book that uh, I think 
fits perfectly with Amanda's vision isn't a new book. In fact, uh, it was first published 12 years ago, and it was written by Morris Berman and is titled The Twilight of American Culture. And if you read it, uh, my guess is that his recommendations as to uh, how one goes about preparing for and living through a difficult period will be very valuable to you uh, to help you learn to live with grace and joy and not in hopelessness and despair. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not a motivational book at all. It's uh, actually a history, and uh, I think you'll do yourself well to read it. In it, I think you'll find a few pointers that I believe fit right in with Amanda's vision, and you'll most likely resonate with Berman's concept of an NMI. And I'll let you read the book to learn what an NMI is. And I guess that I should add something else here uh, about the book recommendations that I make. Not long ago, I received a message from a young listener who told me that he had been buying a lot of the books recommended by various speakers here in the salon. However, his parents were beginning to wonder about what he was taking an interest in reading. Well, uh, how about challenging them to read one of the books themselves, and then you can have a family discussion about what was written. And The Twilight of American Culture would be a perfect book to begin with. First of all, there really isn't anything about the book that is now controversial. Since uh, it was published 12 years ago, there's really no longer any speculation to it. And the events that Berman predicted have all essentially not only come to pass, but have even been worse than he predicted. And what I'm talking about are things here in the U.S., such as uh, the situation with health care, education, poverty, homelessness, things like that. But his suggestions about how to transform this disintegration of society into a new and better way of living, maybe not immediately, maybe not even in any of our lifetimes, but at least beginning the journey in a better direction. Simply by doing some of the things that you know will be of positive value a hundred years from now, well, I think that it'll amaze you to realize how fulfilling something like that can be. Uh, simply much more rewarding than buying the newest electronic product or earning a little more money. Well, enough of my preaching. Uh, hey, just buy the book, read it in a group if you can, discuss it, and then play Amanda Sage's Palenque Norte lecture once again. And I think that you'll be on a path that you not only find more fulfilling, but one which provides you with a lot of happiness and joy along the way. And for now, this is Lorenzo, signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>